This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle market trends every week on Wharton Business Radio, Sirius XM Channel 111. Our guest consists of experts like the world's leading authority on long-term economic growth, Bob Gordon. We will continue to see jobs created rather than destroyed. Nick Rusinoff, expert on currency research. That's what you see for those safe haven currencies is hedging the FX risk is actually exposing you to more risk. Or even the head of the Digital India Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome back to Behind the Markets here on Business Radio, powered by the Warren School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. We are broadcasting from San Francisco at the Cloud 100 2019 event hosted by Bessemer Venture Partners, Forbes, Salesforce Ventures, Cloud computing, very hot topic with a lot of big moves this week in the markets. And we have three amazing guests to tell you what's happening at their companies and in the venture capital space that is funding them. First guest, Byron Dieter, partner at Bessemer Venture Partners. So Byron, tell us what's happening at the event tonight here. Uh, Jeremy, it's great to be here, and uh, it's really a fun evening because we're about to unveil the Cloud 100 list, which is the definitive rankings of the top 100 private cloud companies in the world. And this is something we do each year. Uh, Forbes will drop the issue this week, and you will see the massive power of the cloud industry lurking below the surface in these private, uh, often unicorn companies. So now, how did you get to Bessemer? Actually, through a similar path to many of the CEOs here tonight. Um, I was a founder of a cloud business back uh, in the early 2000s when software as a service and the ASP model was just coming to be, and Bessemer was our anchor investor. So I got to work with them on the other side of the table, got to see them in action, and when I sold the company, I got the bug to return to venture, and Bessemer was my first call. I, I loved what they did for me as an entrepreneur, and I wanted to help other entrepreneurs in a similar way. Now tell us a little bit more, you guys have been some of the major investors in maybe the most IPOs in the cloud space. I mean, what makes Bessemer so special at that? We, we've had a great run and we, we absolutely have been fortunate to work with, I think, over two dozen of the leading cloud CEOs to go public now. And in total, our portfolio is over 150 cloud companies, which I think both of those are the largest in the industry by a wide margin. And it, it really goes down to conviction and, and focus. Uh, this is a sector that we absolutely have believed in from the early days. Our firm uh, globally across our seven offices and our billions of dollars of assets are all in on this trend. And as a result, we've been able to double down in areas where people maybe were unsure. And we've been able to lean in to work with companies and be aggressive in, in deals and relationships to help build some of the giants. And this is a trend we think is going to continue for many years. And we are absolutely still leaning in heavily to new investments in the sector. So what makes cloud so special as a subset of the tech sector? I mean, tech is hot. But what's so special about cloud? I think it's very straightforward where cloud is consuming software and software is consuming tech. And so you have this dynamic where really the the growth engine within tech is largely coming from the cloud sector. And we're seeing it more and more work its way into all branches of life from, from the home to the automobile to the workplace to the mobile phones. And really it's cloud technology powering the vast majority of that. Now, do you worry about there's so much interest in the space that the valuations get extended? They, you know, even in the markets this week, people are talking about high multiple stocks. Is the growth story there? 
So uh, you hit on the two important things there. Um, one is valuations absolutely seem like they're running hot right now, and as a buyer, that is always scary. Uh, but the flip is, quality companies are never cheap. And if you look back on you know, the Amazons of the world, the Microsofts, et cetera, um, nonetheless, the new IPOs, uh, including the DocuSigns of the world and the like, um, th there was never a point where they were a bargain. But the second part of your question is the answer. The growth of these companies is spectacular. And it's efficient growth. These are real businesses that aren't burning money like crazy to grow, um, which means at their core, the engine is working and you absolutely can be rewarded if you pay a fair price at entry. Um, these businesses are going to grow into giants and you will make a great return over time as a result. And people talk about in that model, this rule of 40. Maybe talk through what is the rule of 40 and how does it combine sort of cash flows and growth? Absolutely. There's this notion of efficient growth. And the rule of 40 is a concept that talks about gap revenue growth relative to net income and the relationship between the two. This idea that if you're growing 30% and you're generating 15% of free cash of net income, then the combined score there is a 45, which is above the rule of 40 and a great business at its heart. We often will, will tear that down a little bit more and look at ARR growth and free cash flow, but literally for our private investments, we, we look at the same relationship, which is we love these businesses that are able to grow at 60% in the public markets, you know, or 50% in the public markets that are running near break even, and that can, can grow at 30% plus for many years and generate 10% plus free cash flow and net income. Um, and by the way, that's the average of the cloud industry right now. The average public cloud business has a 45 efficiency score, which is just spectacular. So the, the industry on average is exceeding this sort of um, aspirational rule of 40. Wow, so it, that's a big, it is a big number in terms of the growth profiles. And how long do you think they can sustain that growth? We believe we're still in the early days, and um, it, it may sound overly bullish to say that, but we are sincerely putting our money where our mouth is. We're early stage investors. We are still net investing aggressively in early stage cloud businesses. And these are the businesses that over the next 10 years will go public. Um, and, and as a result, there's certainly a 10 year lag from anything we do in terms of what happens in the public markets. Uh, there's about 800 billion of cloud market cap publicly today across the 50 public cloud companies. And if you look across all segments of tech, including services, including broader software, including hardware, um, there's a very clear case to be made that we've got, we've got a beautiful multi-year run ahead of us still. Now, Bessemer, venture capital firm, worked with NASDAQ to license some data to create an index. What is a venture capital firm getting involved in the indexing business? Well, I think the, the obvious point there is that it's not our business. Yeah. And so um, what we brought to the table was, was perspective on the cloud market and some insights into um, uh, construction and company selection. But uh, we've been asked for a long time, how can you trade on what was really just an informational index that we had built up. And the answer was, uh, we need others to do that. And that's what is beautiful about the partnership with Wisdom Tree and NASDAQ, is that uh, these are the professionals that can bring it to the market. And, and we absolutely love what Wisdom Tree is doing in terms of making cloud accessible to the institutional investors that may want to, to long or short the basket, and to individual investors that aren't able to peel apart the individual stocks, but understand this trend is going to transform software and transform tech, and they want to be part of it. Now, many people think of Microsoft, Amazon as these leading cloud companies. Do they fit the profile of a cloud growth story that you guys think about? So uh, 
yes, in the sense that cloud is a big part of their business, it is not yet a majority of their business. And that's why they're not uh, eligible for the index because uh, Amazon is still predominantly a, an e-tailer. Microsoft has a very diversified business. But it, it's further evidence of the trend. When you look at how these big giants and leaders in tech are now seeing their growth powered by cloud and what Amazon's doing with Amazon Web Services and what Microsoft's doing with Azure is absolute validation of this trend. And the CEOs are talking about it more in their earnings and it's further proof that th this wave is here to stay. These companies used to be fighting it, now they're embracing it and it's just pulling forward all the disruptors and the growth profiles of these public pure play cloud companies are much higher than those large incumbents and they're coming after them in a beautiful way. Now, I've heard you talk about the business model of cloud and talking about the R&D versus regular software companies. What makes them a better business model from a traditional software company? So I do think accountability is a positive, meaning you can't create shelfware, pump it out, and, and leave it there. So the customers are more demanding. But the flip is you can route your entire business against the new version. So all of your uh, developers can be building the latest version. They're not dealing with ports or legacy versions. Um, you're able to see customer usage and understand which, which features they're logging into on a daily or hourly basis um, and understand then how to steer the product to make it more powerful for them. And so I absolutely believe that better software is being created as a result and this delivery model economically is a better model because you get this annuity stream for years or potentially decades from loyal happy customers and you get this upsell dynamic where they're buying more if it works and if they like it they want more and the best companies are getting rewarded for that final question here now a lot of these cloud companies are US based I'm sure Bessemer is looking globally. Are we going to get any cloud companies outside the U.S.? And I know I saw you, you talk about a book on China about artificial intelligence in China. Is China the only place we'll get some of these type of type of businesses? It's it's absolutely starting to happen. You'll see a few some international flavor. I mean, Australia is an example where you've got Atlassian on the public side and Canva on the private side, and you've got some uh, Western European companies emerging. It, it is lagging, but. Uh, absolutely the future. And what you asked about China specifically, we think China's lagging by about a decade, but it will probably ex uh, close at a faster rate. So we think that the potential for China is arguably as large as you see in the U.S., and it's starting to take hold there as well. Any closing thoughts, Byron, on the space generally? I appreciate all your time here. Just that as you see cloud more and more within tech, I think that this will become more and more mainstream, and we're appreciative of the partnership. Thanks for, so much for joining us on our podcast. Thank you. Our second guest here at the Bessemer Cloud 100 event is Dan Springer, the CEO of DocuSign. Uh, I'm reading from Dan's background here, was a Harvard MBA, former CEO of Responsys, a cloud-based marketing company that was sold to Oracle in 2013. Uh, then I, I saw that you spent four years as a stay-at-home father taking I did, care of I your did. boys. Uh, would you say from those four years and then your, your time at Responses. Any lessons that are making you a better CEO at, at DocuSign? Oh, absolutely. I do think, I'll go in a reverse chronological order. I think time off, uh, sort of being a stay-at-home parent, uh, and I'd always been a fairly uh, active parent uh, previously, 
Uh, but having that dedicated time really opened my mind uh, to the idea of two kind of core concepts. One is how much giving of yourself to other people and their development. I'd always understood that, you know, at responses in previous companies. But when you really focused on just a couple young men, my, my sons at the time, it really, I think, made me uh, more clear about what I wanted to do and how I could have a positive impact on the world by hmm. helping other people develop. So that was a big thing. Um, and I think the second thing is it really informed how important I think it is that companies create the space and opportunity, whether it's work-life balance, whether it's time off when people have children, to really bond and focus on, on their family and their children. And one of the things we did when I got to DocuSign is we actually created a program where there's six-month leave for parents after they have a child. And it's, uncom it's uncommon in the United States, yeah. um, and we're hoping everyone is going to copy us and create that same program. Well, so those are some of the things that came out It's interesting. I'm an executive at Wisdom Tree, and that's something we talk about is the parental yep. leave policy. I'll have to say DocuSign six months. That is an aggressive number it's an aggressive number and it's not inexpensive but we're really excited about what the return our employees get on it that's that's great now so tell us what motivated you to come back and, and join DocuSign and, and tell us a little about your your business well my kids went to college so then they kind of had nothing else to do right I guess it was time uh, but I you know I think for me uh, I looked at DocuSign and thought it was really a great fit for me on two uh, two levels. One, it was a large-scale cloud software company, which is sort of what I had done at Responses, so I felt I had sort of a subject matter fit and I could be helpful and add, add a little bit of value. And the second thing is the values. It's just a great culture. People at DocuSign have a wonderful benefit. The employees there realize that because our customers love our product and people all say how DocuSign makes their life better, people are really happy to work there. And so the culture is very uplifting, very positive, and we really think it's an opportunity for people to do the best work of their career, and that was what really attracted me to, have a, to be in a place with that environment. As a consumer, I could definitely say I do a lot of signing of the documents. You Thank you for your business. And, yeah. um, now who, I, I've read you guys have 60% market share approximately in the space. How would you describe your main competitors and really where the space is that you're going after? Absolutely. Yeah, we think it's actually early innings. And we'll do, uh, you know, we're a public company now, as you know, and we've given guidance to be just under a billion dollars of revenue this year. And people think that seems like a lot for what was traditionally the signature Congrats business. on that report. We saw the oh, nice thank pop you. last week yeah. or, or recently. Q2 is a good quarter. Yeah, thank you. Um, but we really look at it and say this is early innings. We think that we only have about 4% market share. So then you ask the question, if you're by far the largest player, but so 60% of the business today, but we only think we've penetrated the market 4%, where's the rest of the business? And the business is in paper. It's paper and manual processes. So when we talk about competition, that's what we actually see as our primary competition is changing people from moving away from manual processes and paper-based. Status quo bias, inertia, getting people to just change yeah. The process. So like, where is that paper live today? Like who's the biggest users of paper that you can get rid of? ESG, very yeah. friendly to the environment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so the answer is it's, it's everywhere. And almost every company that we work with, even those that are some of our best customers say, we still have paper and manual processes all over our business. And one of the things that's interesting is depending on the vertical you're in, I use financial services as an example. I'm thinking about, you know, some of the banking and, and insurance companies, um, even though they might figure out some opportunities to get rid of things in the front office, like turning in all their customer onboarding and make that electronic and digital and leverage DocuSign for that. But then you look at their back office processes and they're still passing paper around for POs and, and they send out offer letters through HR and they send them in the mail. And we say, God, there's front office and back office opportunities. So there's still quite a bit ahead of us. Now, when you, when you think about that billion, it's up from 
less maybe 500 million just maybe one to two years ago how do you yeah. think about that growth trajectory being able to continue yeah i mean so we've been growing you know in the high 30s uh and we think that uh we don't give forward guidance past this year on an exact number but we believe growth is our priority and we will be able to continue to grow at the same rates we've been growing the last few years uh, and you do that math and the compounding it gets to a pretty big business um, and we look at that and we think one of the reasons we're excited and believe that makes sense is DocuSign's unusual and then compared to most companies I've ever worked at. Some people serve the enterprise, some people serve small businesses. We really serve all businesses. Um, and so we have a huge number of customers that come to us on the web, come through as our mobile app that we never speak to. They just sign up online. And then we have the largest companies in the world. So that range of serving so many different businesses, we now have about 535,000 customers. And we think it's just the beginning. So we really think every company could be a user of DocuSign. So how do you spend for that growth? Is it sales? Is yeah. it marketing? How do you balance that mix between where you're trying to funnel your, your spending? Yeah, well, because of the way, to your point about it's different channels, it's both. So down in the web and mobile business, the people that come to us on the indirect channel, it's almost exclusively online marketing spend, whereas we have a large direct sales force that goes for those mid-market companies and the large enterprises. That's all direct selling. So we do both. Because our mix is a little more towards the direct business, a little more of our spending is is in the uh, direct selling organization. Mm. Now there's a lot, as a public company, there's a lot of different metrics you could focus on. Focus on. We talked about sort of the revenue numbers and top line growth. What are, for people looking at DocuSign, what are the most important metrics that you're focused on, on from all the different sure. metrics? Sure, so from the external metrics that we report, I'd focus on a few. One is definitely the revenue growth. There's a forward-looking metric, which is billings. So it's sort of similar to bookings. It's a little bit different, but it's the best indication we give of a forward metric. It's a volatile metric. So it is important that we, we recommend you look at it on a four-quarter moving average, but it is a great indication of that future business. And another one I really love is the net retention rate. And that's really indicative of customers that were sort of with us a year ago. Are they buying more than they did a year ago? And that really drives from our customer success program. And if we do a great job at helping people with adoption and driving their customer success, that number goes up. And, you know, it's highly correlated with our future growth as well. Yep. Um, last year, I saw you made an acquisition of Spring CM. How's that integration going? How are you building that into a, a bigger sort of agreement platform. Yeah, I mean, we're super excited about Spring CM. A lot of people joke that the people at Spring CM called themselves Springers, and that the reason we bought them was because I'm a Springer. Uh, <laughs> that is not true, but that is a, a common a misconception, one. yeah. Uh, so it's it's uh, been a little, just a year anniversary, we just had it. We've now completely integrated the business and the sales organization, and to your point about the agreements, it really, Spring has been that that sort of ability for us to leap forward from a signature company to the DocuSign agreement cloud, which is the positioning we have, to do so much more than just signature, but also how people create agreements and how they act on their agreements and how they manage that set of agreements afterwards. And Spring came from the uh, contract lifecycle management space, or CLM. So we've really added CLM into our signature capability, and that has actually really moved us to the vision we've always wanted to be on. So we are super excited. Now, it's a small part of our business today, uh, but we think it's going to be a significant part of our growth story going forward. Now, is acquisition a continued type of thing? How do you look at acquisitions? I mean, cloud is yeah. not the cheapest segment, so the, yeah. you know, there's always, you know, you've got to pay premiums. And so how do you think about that? What would be nice... Going forward, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the, the good news is we have a rich valuation. 
the bad news is all the companies we'd want to buy have the same rich valuations, to your point. But, but I think the way we look at it is now that we've complete the integration with Spring, we feel absolutely comfortable that we could do another, uh, another acquisition. And I think for us, you know, we, we love to build the software ourselves. You get the benefit of your building in an integrated fashion from the beginning. But sometimes we look out in a space, as we did with Spring, and we said, we just don't have that domain expertise. Mm. We're going to get there so much faster with an acquisition, and that's when we make a buy decision. Going forward, there's a lot of things in the areas of AI, advanced analytics, that we think we have good functionality at DocuSign, but I bet there's a high probability in the near future would find a company that has that kind of capability and functionality that we could say that will accelerate our growth and accelerated not just our revenue growth, but our vision for the DocuSign Agreement Cloud. My guess is that would be the next kind of deal we AI, do. besides cloud, that is the other hot topic. I should have uh, said machine learning at the same time to get every buzz and blockchain in at the same time, but, but it is AI, true. But uh, on the blockchain. On the blockchain, exactly. Um, and now, you were a judge for the Cloud 100 event. I was. That I understand. Is it these, these private clouds, tell us about the experience being a judge and anything you learned from looking at all the companies. Yeah, I tell you, it is a really impressive group this year, Jeremy. And one of the things that's interesting, when someone tells you they're going to give you 100 companies to have, you know, uh, to judge, you think to yourself, how many of these companies am I actually going to know? And the crazy part is quite a few of them. I mean, there are a super large number of significant companies that are doing great work in the cloud. And, and you just kind of forget how big this segment is becoming. In the responses days, you know, we hit a couple hundred million dollars in revenue. There were only like four companies that had ever been that big in the cloud space. And so it was quite unusual. Now we got people hitting a hundred million dollars in cloud revenue every day. There's another one coming forward. So I would tell you, great quality, great diversity. There's so many different businesses that are now being served with cloud software. Um, so it was really kind of encouraging. It gave me a super positive feeling about Silicon Valley. Not that all the companies are in Silicon Valley, but a huge percentage of them are, are, are local here. Um, but it just gave me a lot of excitement that said, we're really vibrant uh, cloud economy. Any closing thoughts for investors looking at the cloud space, things you're excited about, either DocuSign or outside of DocuSign, what is you know, the real case for cloud today? I mean, I think this is one of those scenarios where you got to step back and take a look at in the long run. I think one of these things that's happened in the last four or five years is, as you said, valuations are rich, and there's probably going to be a number of those deals that aren't going to play out because to make this sort of, you know, make that story on the NPV of that investment sort of play back, it's going to require a lot of years of growth. But I think that the overall space, people in the short run are going to over anticipate what can really happen, but underestimate what could happen in the long run. Mm. I think fundamentally, if software is eating the world, to use a, a famous Andreessen quote, I think cloud software is going to eat the vast majority of that world. And so there's still a lot of on-premise software to come. So I think being a diversified investor across a range of cloud companies is actually a very safe bet. Although each individual bet, of course, you know, has the vagaries of the market. Yeah, that, that uh, cloud is eating the software. That's a, a, a phrase you hear a lot here at the Bessemer Venture Partners uh, <laughs> group here. But thanks for, Dan, thanks for, so much for joining us here at this Really event. pleased to do it, Jeremy. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit wisdomtree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. 
index being discussed is tracked by the Wisdom Tree Cloud Computing Fund, WCLD. The discussions about the potential growth of the cloud computing sector are the opinions of the audio participants, and there is no guarantee the space will experience significant growth. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's investment objective, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus available at wisdomtree.com. Read it carefully. There are risks associated with investing. Cloud computing companies may have limited product lines, markets, financial resources, or personnel, and are subject to the risks of changes in the business cycles, world economic growth, technological progress, and government regulation. These companies typically face intense competition and potentially rapid product obsolescence. Securities of cloud computing companies tend to be more volatile than securities of companies that rely less heavily on technology and specifically on the internet. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus, available at wisdomtree.com. Read it carefully. Distributor, Foresight Fund Services, LLC.